and welcome to Season of the Bips, the leftist podcast that wants white people to talk to their racist uncles. Today we have Zoe, Helen, and Laura. Today we're talking about um, white silence and slash ending white silence and how to talk to friends and family about systemic racism. We have an amazing guest who, full disclosure, is a good friend of mine. But every time I talk to her about these topics, I'm like, yes, the world needs to hear this this tea. So here she is <laughs> to spill the tea with all of you. Yes. Welcome, Sasha. Yes. <laughs> I would like to say that in addition to being Zoe's very dear friend, she also is a Libra sun and Scorpio moon, which like makes her my soulmate <laughs> in a big way. So like also I'm you know, I, I can't be unbiased in this in this conversation. Scorpio moon queens are here. Yeah. <laughs> and Scorpio rising. Yes. Oh, my God. I forgot. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, the Scorpio energy. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to add to introduce yourself, Sasha? <laughs> uh, those are the basics. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, my name is Sasha. Um, I am black and white. Um, sort of like light-skinned um, uh, for more optics, like Hispanic passing, cisgender woman. Um, I was raised by um, my mom primarily, who is Jewish um, and also white. Um, I'm originally from Jersey um, and I've been living in Brooklyn for about the last six years. Um, but uh, I've been quarantining in Pennsylvania with my mom currently. Um, and yeah, I guess that's that's me. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to just really like lay this basic piece of information out uh, before we really get started. This episode is obviously mainly directed at white listeners. Um, <laughs> If you're not white, I mean, you know, if you're not black, actually, you should probably be talking to your family about this stuff. But if you're not white, then like white silence is not so much of your issue. So apologies to our non-white listeners, but to our white listeners, this is a really important topic. And we really wanted to make sure that y'all heard about this. If you're not already like actively seeking out information, here's another thing flying at your face. Uh, So welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, yeah, so the first topic that we wanted to kind of broach is like where the burden falls on uh, obtaining information about uh, race in America. Um, and, you know, at Season of the Bitch, we feel firmly that we cannot leave the burden to people of color to educate everyone around them. Um, being black, indigenous, or another person of color in the United States comes with a shit ton of trauma, generational struggle, and oppression, and obviously a lot more. It is not their job to educate you. We are going to list a bunch of books at the end of this episode, and if you're not a person who likes to read nonfiction, honestly, I don't care. Um, figure out how to get your ass to read a book for the sake of fucking educating yourselves and the people around you. Um, 
I just like really think it's important for white leftists to not like hide behind even things like uh, it. It's really hard for me to read nonfiction like you also have audiobooks. There's also like a lot of synopses of of books that people recommend. Anyway, I just feel like there's a lot going on and the least you can do is is read a book. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely um, agree. Some thoughts. (laughs) Some thoughts. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's all really well said. And, um, you know, I, I think that like, so as I said, I grew up with a white family, my mom's white, um, and her family was sort of the one that I grew up around. Um, they're all white. Um, you know, so I sort of stuck out like a sore thumb almost. And, um, I guess it wasn't until I was older until I realized, that I really was different than a lot of these people. And I was sort of moving through the world differently than them. Um, And I I slowly started realizing that like, I had to be able to verbalize my experience to these people who have sort of raised me and know me the best, um, but in a way don't actually know my experience at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I struggled with it quite a bit when I was younger um, and I I had a hard time being able to verbalize what my experience was and you know you feel the the pangs of uh, racism and oppression but you don't have the language at a young age to describe what that is mm-hmm. um, especially to a white family you know right and and to my my mom who has married a black person and thinks that racism is over and you know she um met him in Alabama and was exposed to a lot of overt racism so coming to the north felt like a lot of um you know there there was less overt racism so um I would say the hardest part about growing up was finding the language to describe um, the covert racism and sometimes overt racism that I experienced um, to my family and the people that I was closest with and them sort of like not believing me. Um, and I just remember it being really frustrating uh, because these were supposed to be the people who like love me and protect me. And they're the ones who are sort of like questioning my experience and my reality. Um, and Unfortunately, I had to, as I grew up, I sort of had to do that learning myself. I was sort of, I was forced to read all the books to like learn how to verbalize what systemic racism was um, and what like covert, you know, oppression was. And um, then it was my job to explain it to my family and lay it out in, in like a fucking PowerPoint. It felt like, you know, like you, you have to like, get every fact right otherwise you're questioned you have to like make sure you know every number is right otherwise it's just like no that doesn't happen here you know we live in New Jersey um so yeah I mean you know I'm glad we're in this moment in many ways but it also brings up a lot of like old resentments that I I've had in my past in terms of um, 
you know, just like realizing how differently people move through the world and how much they have not educated themselves yet align themselves with um, or, or call themselves allies, you know, or think they're being allies, which is, you know, not, um, you know, everyone's doing their best, but um, are they just, <laughs> um, I'd like to think so. I'd like <laughs> to think that people are, are doing their, their best, but um, I guess what I mean is that there's always room for change and, um, but yeah, so all to say that there's just a lot of resentment that's being brought up in terms of the work that white people have not done and have sort of been comfortable in not doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think we wanted to transition a little bit <clears throat> to what silence actually is and how we combat it. Um, yeah, I just, I wanted to know, and um, I feel like a lot of people probably have thoughts on this, that like silence isn't just, or not being silent rather, isn't just posting about racism on Instagram. <laughs> Um, what? Yeah, hard to believe that like performative wokeness actually doesn't accomplish anything. Um, and like combating white silence means actually doing something. So like sometimes it might literally be like breaking the silence, like telling another white person to shut the fuck up when they make a racist joke. Um, you know, like it's incumbent upon white people to make outward displays of racism uncomfortable. But like it actually, it also means like acting like giving money to black community organizations or funding bail bonds which is especially important right now and like actually showing up for protests or demonstrations or you know like whatever what's happening near you um and it's also listening to people of color and especially black and indigenous people when they tell you how you can like best help them achieve their goals um and so all of this is to say that if you posted an instagram story or a black square on your uh, Instagram page, that does not mean you are not being silent. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. I know. I thought it was really like, as yesterday was unfolding with the black squares, I was like, wow, perfect timing for our episode tomorrow. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. as of when we are recording this, Blackout Tuesday was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tweeted about this and also texted Zoe and Laura in a fit of rage, but I, I went to a high school that was a segregation academy, which is a school that opened in the South um, uh, when desegregation orders were finally starting to be enforced. So in the case of Charlotte, North Carolina, where I grew up, it was in 1970 when they actually kind of were like getting around to um, real desegregation um, and that's just so happened to be when the high school that I went to opened um, and uh, that school which didn't have a black person graduate from it until like the year 2000 somewhere around there um, posted a black square with an MLK quote Boo. and like if you if that is the level at which you are engaged congratulations you're at the same place in your activism as Charlotte Latin School. The worst, the worst place that I personally have ever existed. I also want to say that, like, I think white people have a specific, like, sensitivity around messing up. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, I had some friends that posted the black square. And then once they saw everyone saying what they said, they took it down. Like... 
it's okay to be on your journey of unlearning the systemic racism that is like coursing through the veins of America, but it is on you to be responsible for those things, right? Like it's okay to mess up and you're going to, I still do. You're going to no matter what, because oppression runs fucking deep, but the it's really important that that doesn't paralyze you and that you can still try to move forward and push past that. Absolutely. And if, I think it's the whole idea of like, um, you know, your, your discomfort as a white people is sort of as a white person rather is less um, important than racism itself. And like, um, you know, it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable, um, and sort of feel those things. Um, and yeah, we're, I mean, we're all learning, like I'm still learning. Um, it's not, it's not shameful to have said the wrong things as long as you're sort of like allowing yourself to be questioned and, um, sort of like not being defensive about it or like, you know, fragile or, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I think the point about like being uncomfortable is really good too, because um, I mean, the reason, one of the reasons why so many like systemic oppressions stay in place, like racism and sexism is because it's like, well, that's just how it is. That's how it's always been. So like, yes, challenging those things is uncomfortable because it's like so ingrained in what we're used to, but that uncomfortability is a good thing because we're pushing those like boundaries, which we need to do. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that I really wanted to bring up um, is a book that I highly recommend everyone takes the time to do. It's a workbook called Me and White Supremacy by Layla F. Saad. It has daily topics. Um, When I did it, I did, instead of it like one every day, I did one per week. Like when it would say day one, it would be week one because for me, I wanted to sit with the questions for longer. Um, But essentially, um, there's it's 30 days of this workbook and each week is a new topic. And day four, so really early on out of the 30 days in the workbook, is me and white silence. And I thought it would be helpful for our listeners to hear directly from the words of this incredible black activist what this means. Um, Also, her workbook is free online, and I recommend donating to her work so that it can continue. Um, I recommend getting a group together to work through this stuff because it's like deeply important to do the self-work. But she starts with, what is white silence? White silence is exactly what it sounds like. It is when people with white privilege stay complicitly silent when it comes to issues of race. Tone policing is about how you silence black indigenous people of color. White silence is how you stay silent around race. How does white silence show up? Um, So here's a few examples of white silence in action. And I love her workbook because it helps you to be able to recognize parts of yourself that are acting in racist ways that are um, like microaggressions, essentially, like where you could be amplifying microaggressions in your life. 
So um, it shows up when you stay silent or make excuses or change the subject or leave the room when your family members or friends make racist jokes or comments. It's staying silent when you see your colleagues of color being discriminated against at work. It's staying silent when white people treat your biracial family members in ways they would not treat your white family members. It's staying silent by choosing not to engage in any conversations about race. It's staying silent by not attending protest marches for Black Lives Matter, immigrants at risk, or other marginalized people of color. It's staying silent when your favorite well-known teacher, coach, mentor, author is rightfully called out for problematic behavior. It's staying silent when you witness other white people use their white privilege, white fragility, or tone policing against black indigenous people of color. It's staying silent by not sharing social media posts about race and racism in your spaces because of the way it might affect your personal or professional life. It's staying silent about your anti-racism work for fear of losing friends, family members, and followers. It's staying silent by not holding those around you accountable for their racist behavior. It is the deafening silence that has upheld white supremacy throughout all these years. It is the silence that silently gives approval to the horrors of racism. Yes. Snaps. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so, so good. Um, and then she says, why do you need to look at white silence? Because silence is not neutral, silence is looking the other way and protecting your privilege, thus continuing to uphold white supremacy. White silence is violence. White silence protects the system. White silence prevents you from speaking truth to power. You must look at ways in which you stay silent so that you can begin to build the strength and courage to start using your voice. As Audre Lorde said, your silence will not protect you. When you stay silent, you stay complicit. Um, and then she has some questions for you to journal about and really like deeply reflect with. And I would recommend sitting with these questions for at least an hour for any time that you are sitting with them. Don't make it something that you like journal about for 15 minutes. Um, but her questions for this particular topic, which I felt like would be an important thing for maybe our listeners to hear, are... How have you and have you stayed silent when it comes to race and racism? How has your silence been complicit in upholding racist behavior? In which situations do you fall silent when it comes to racism? Why do you stay silent? How do you benefit from white silence? How do you do harm with your white silence? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I I really, really recommend the entire workbook. Um, I'm actually going through it for a second time with a group right now um, because I think it's – I think as a white person, I need to take seriously and we all need to take seriously the the deep self-work that needs to be done to, to get – to let your white ego go, you know, the, like, mm -hmm. really intense – just like there's a male ego that we love to hate on at Season of the Bitch, there's also a white ego, and, like, you need to – we all need to, like, do the work to battle that. Yeah, absolutely, and those things intersect to make the epitome of evil the white man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Never forget the real enemy. <laughs> capitalism and the white man they're the same thing though right exactly <laughs> which is why we cannot separate these things exactly 
Yeah. And um, something that I've been realizing, um, I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of texts over the past few days, just like from friends reaching out and checking in, seeing how I'm doing. Um, and uh, all, you know, well-intentioned, um, some of them sort of like, you know, bombastically um, saying that they can't believe what's going on and can I believe this? And um, they're so sorry and, you know, they don't know what to do and they feel like they're not doing enough, um, you know, and, and all of that stuff. And it's mm. like, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's, I mean, just to let some of the listeners know if they've done that, like, I, I, I understand that it's well-meaning, but it puts the burden on me to sort of like sympathize with you and, and, you know, the struggle of the white person to, um, you know, sort of like make you feel a little bit better or educate you about like this or that, uh, you know, um, and it's just not a great feeling, you know? No, well, it I, I also, think- like, when someone says something like, I can't believe this is happening, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, did you not remember all of history and like you you haven't you haven't listened to black people up until this point so i i don't like i don't know that yeah and and that's that's sort of like what i'm talking about with um like resentment sort of coming to the surface again because Mm -hmm, honestly mm -hmm. like to me it's it's been a learning curve of like me not realizing where a lot of my white friends are in terms mm-hmm. of their own education and where a lot of my family members are in their own education. Um, and like, even though I, I talk to my mom endlessly about, um, you know, different issues, whatever it may be, um, she, you know, she's very sort of like fueled by MSNBC and CNN and, it's just so hard to chip away at those sort of like, like neoliberal ideas that she has. And sometimes I feel like I'm getting to the, the core of like making her think differently about, um, about, you know, capitalist structures and, and how those are sort of like harmful to everyone. And then, you know, times like this, it's like, you know, she can't believe that, police are acting this way, you know, and it's, it's just, it's, it's brought so many emotions to the forefront of um, just like disappointment, I think, in people. Um, And just like realizing how much work other people haven't done yet. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And with the texting too, it's like, they're just putting the onus on you to be like, oh no, don't worry. Like, it's okay that you haven't done enough. Like, don't worry about it. Or like, what do they want you to say? I don't know. That's like very weird to me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I've gotten texts about like people's parents who said such a racist thing that they can't even tell me what it is. You know, it's like, why are you, why are you telling me this? Why would you want to know that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, are you trying to make me feel better? Because like, also, the fact that they're not even talking to their parents about why it's racist. They're just right. sort of like defaulting to me, someone who they find solace in, who they can sort of vent to. So 
therefore it's like it's more about them and them feeling like cleansed of of you know bad energy you know I'm on the right side of history my dad's on the bad side of history and like I know that what he's saying is racist so I'm going to reach out to my black friend who like um also understands that that's racist and it's just it's just such a mind fuck everything I yeah that's that's got to be exhausting it's extremely exhausting and also a lot of it as much as like people are reaching out and sometimes it can feel nice it can also sometimes feel tokenizing in Mm. terms of like right I'm your one black friend that you have got it (laughs) um you know it's just it's it's just hard Um, yeah have you gotten any like check-ins that felt good uh yeah, I would say it's okay if the answer is no. <laughs> no, I would say I would say something. Um, they've all uh, not all, but I would say a lot of them, the majority of them, have felt good um, and well intentioned. A lot of my black and brown friends who have reached out have also felt really good, um, and we've talked a lot about you know just like existing in a predominantly like predominantly white spaces and um how hard that can be and how your like family and loved ones are mostly white and you know it's just like inherently are going through a different experience than you um and so it it can mostly feel isolating so it's been nice to have my sort of uh group of black friends that I can um talk with I guess Mm. absolutely I wanted to just add like to talk about why for white people why it's important to not be silent um there are some obvious reasons um (laughs) like for example racism is very bad and like (laughs) you don't want to be a racist like that that is important Right, right. And it's not, but that in and of itself is not, it's just not wanting to be a racist is not enough. Right. I was going to say, I feel like so many white people are more upset at the idea of like being called racist than they are at like what racism looks like. Right. Right. Yes. And that's white fragility, which again is another day that you can work on in the latest episode (laughs) book. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot push it enough. And I think it's, like, really important for people, like, our, specifically, like, our non-Black listeners um, who are leftists and socialists to think about the fact that, like, that, that racism is not a thing that exists unto itself. You can't segment off struggles and support just gay rights or just women's rights or just trans rights or just eco-socialism or just anti-capitalism and not support the anti-racist struggle. Um, Audre Lorde has a like a, a thing that she's written that I really like, which is that she said, um, I will not be free while any woman is unfree, even if her chains look very different from my own. Um, and like capitalism and racism and homophobia and transphobia and sexism and imperialism are interlocking systems. You can't take down one without taking down the rest. Like I'm repeating myself, but seriously, like our struggles are all interconnected and you're not a real feminist if you're not anti-racist. Sorry about it. It's just the way that it is. And it so like, is. 
if you're somebody that takes feminism seriously, then like you have to bring anti-racism to your feminism, not just because you feel bad about like the idea of being a racist, but because you recognize that like that is that is central to your struggle. And if you're not including people who are not white in your struggle, then you're you're not doing feminism. All you're doing yeah. is you're not dismantling a system of oppression. You're just restructuring a system of oppression so that you can be on top, like next to white men. Um, Absolutely. And so I think that like that is that's another sort of important framing is like you need to constantly be interrogating yourself and like the work that you're doing and asking like, am I trying to like reorient power so that I have power or am I trying to reorient power so that the people have power and by the people that means like all people um and like anti-racism is you know in America in I mean in in the world that has been colonized in the world that has created slavery like that is central yeah central to the work that you claim to be doing and I think um, it's like just like there are fascists and anti-fascists. That's it. Like that's the those are the two things, right? You're either for fascism or against it. There are racists and there are anti-racists. So there is no like I'm not a racist. You either are anti-racism or you are a racist. And that's like what we need to reckon with. Yes, absolutely. Um yeah, so I thought that it would maybe be helpful because I know a lot of people are like overwhelmed at the idea of having these conversations. I also know um, that Sasha is really good at having these conversations. Um, so yeah, I thought we could maybe like just talk about what what it actually looks like to have to talk to like relatives and loved ones about um, topics that like it can be uncomfortable, it can be really difficult. And, like, recognizing that and that you still have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I, mean, just to uh, really quickly go back to what we were talking about with the Black Square trend that was happening. Yeah. Other- <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel like sort of, like, shows of allyship like that are really easy. It's sort of this thing that is, like, laid out for you by somebody else and co-signed by everybody in your feed and you know you want to show solidarity so I'm going to take a screenshot of something like a black square and then post it and like my work's done here and then your whole feed is like filled with black squares and you know racism is solved and everyone (laughs) is happy again (laughs) you know um and so I I feel like those moments are really easy to sort of perform. Um, And like moments like talking to your family is way harder and is way more uncomfortable and way more personal. And it's, you know, I think it goes back to the whole idea of like discomfort, like, but yeah, so obviously you don't want to be seen as a bad person or a bad ally. But it's also not like up to people of color and particularly black people to like comfort white people with their like shit. I mean, I know that's not what you're talking about, like because we're specifically talking about white people talking to white people for the most part. But like, I just feel like white people just need to be consoled and told they're doing the right thing. But it's like, no, you you need to wake up from that like 
idea. Yeah, and unfortunately, like, a lot of allyship is messy and, like, is about arguing with people who aren't in your direct Twitter feed or who aren't in your group chat or who who don't already agree with you. Because essentially with all the posting and, um, you know, potential performativeness, like it's two people that already agree with you mm-hmm. um, for the most part. And same with like, you know, reaching out to your black friends and making like, like all of that. It's just, there's so much discourse within the same um, like eco chamber. Uh, and I just feel like these folks who are performing as allies are not doing the harder work of, um, you know, talking to their families or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I think that that is, it's, it's just so important to talk to the people who are outside the echo chamber. Um, and just being home, uh, for the last two months with my very liberal mother, um, (laughs) (laughs) it's extremely frustrating having to verbalize everything and having to like, like really, really have your facts down so that you can argue something. Um, And I know that it comes easier to some people, but you know, to the everyday person, it can seem scary and, 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 you know, you can feel like you don't have the right information. So how am I going to convince another person um, of systematic racism if I don't even know how it works, you know? But I think like the beauty of this moment is that there's so much literature and there's so many resources at your disposal. Just like screenshot those Instagram stories and look up those PDFs, uh, those like you know, literature PDFs or whatever, like whatever you find that you think has moved you or changed your mind, I'm sure that it would change someone else's mind. So just like keep track of that stuff. I, I'm just, I, you know, again, I'm, I have so many emotions in me right now. And part of it is anger, frustration, sadness, anger, but there's also this like little bit of hope because this amount there's just so many resources that I didn't have when I was younger and, and trying to explain to my racist family what my experience was. Yeah. Um, you know, there, I, I didn't even know the term white privilege. I didn't know my mom just learned the term ally this week. Like, I, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't know how that Truly happens, doing the Lord's work over in Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The other day she said um, something along the lines of um she would die if it meant people could burn the white house down so i feel like she's been radicalized a little bit (laughs) in the past week um but yeah i don't know i just yeah it's 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 just so important to be talking to the people that um are not in your direct line of communication yeah Um, I would also say that, like, I try as much as possible to continue to direct conversations I have with people away from Trump, Um, just because this problem has existed forever. Um, 
And honestly, like, just like because Trump is saying it openly doesn't mean that every other president wasn't saying the same shit behind doors. Yeah. Also, like, the Ferguson uprisings happened when Obama was in office. You said the National president Guard. And everything right. was perfect. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just <laughs> this important is not to remember. Yeah. 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 In um, fact, it is a centuries old problem. Yeah. Um, so I can talk about the conversation I had with my parents. My parents are uh, definitively different than what you describe your mother to be. Um, they're extremely conservative Catholics. My dad voted for Trump. Um, on Monday, I went for like a social distance uh, sitting outside at in his backyard for my grandmother's birthday. Um I had just been at the protests in Buffalo and was like pushed by a cop right before I had to leave and go to this family event. Um so I was like on edge, so I do think I could have used my own advice more. Um but, you know, they asked me point blank if I was involved in the protest. And so I told them I was and I told them what my experience was explaining, like, obviously, protesters being peaceful and, uh, you know, being pushed down by a cop and also like witnessing how fast it escalated with um, fully militarized cops with the National Guard behind them because Buffalo is on a, a border. Uh, National Guard's just like here. Um but essentially, of course, my stepmom turned the conversation into being about the looters. Um, I, the looters. Uh, the fucking looters. <laughs> and I said, you want to know what can be fixed? Buildings, but lives can't come back. It's really distressing to me that you're caring more about property damage than about the... Um, systemic murdering of black people in the United States and my stepmom tried to say it was just one person (laughs) and I I just at that point like I was like I was like I literally looked her in the eyes and I was like do you want are you are you being serious when you say that or do you want to like continue that conversation and she literally said no so I think she recognized pretty fast, like, how fucked up that line of view was. But, um, you know, they started getting more worked up. And I said, listen, a line is being drawn in the sand uh, between the oppressors and the oppressed. And it's really clear where you guys are sitting. And my dad said, well, I'm just glad that I live in Orchard Park, which is a suburb of Buffalo that is, like, literally all white and oh um, I was like, yeah, you know, protect your ignorance at all costs. And also he acknowledged in that moment that like other communities are far more police than his own. Um, so it's just not an issue that he has to deal with. And uh, at that point, you know, my grandma was crying and was saying it was her birthday. So I, you know, at that point just kind of like sat quietly, but like, essentially stared really intensely at my dad and stepmom for the rest of the evening because, um, you know, and I, I just want to say that, like, I also had the instinct after that conversation happened to get in my car and leave. And I really tried to fight that instinct because the thing is, again, 
being uncomfortable is not the same as being unsafe. So as like, I think we've all been echoing this whole time. Also, okay, if Laura can make her grandma cry on her birthday, you can talk to your relatives too, okay? <laughs> yeah, I think- and, and, and really quick, Laura, um, it's interesting that you say um, your family is, you know, very conservative Catholic and seemingly s- s- different than, um, you know my, mm. my sure yeah I don't know like I just like liberal. don't know what it's like to have a liberal parent so I just assume well, <laughs> well it's interesting because that's those are the exact conversations that I've had with my mom mm. and she's liberal you know it's like right it's 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 all the same you know I was gonna it's, say yeah like, yeah yeah it's like she I mean there it's were, not there surprising of- I just like feel like I mean, the brainwashing is real on both sides, but I feel like my dad is literally a person that watches Fox News. And so like the shit that he hears is like literal like warped backwards uh, record version of reality. So I don't I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And like every like I just feel like a lot of the folks who watch these cable news shows um, are really just convinced that whatever sort of like group they're a part of uh whatever that even means um is the most oppressed or something <laughs> and like um like my mom brought up something about being Jewish and how she you know knew what it was like to be black because she's Jewish oh my god I don't know yeah a lot half of, a lot of all Jews there. how embarrassing uh yeah <laughs> <Excuse> <laughs> <me>. um <laughs> so yeah it's just fucking wild I don't understand yeah, I um, I also wanted to jump in, Laura, mm-hmm. just to, like to reflect on the story that you told. Um, I think it's important, like as we talk about strategies to talk to people to like to the extent that you can in like a heated moment, think mm-hmm. clearly about whether it's a person you're trying to convince or whether it's a person you're trying to make uncomfortable. Um, because if you've made the sort of assessment that like your father is not somebody that you can convince to become an (laughs) anti-racist, then sitting and and glaring at him and making your grandmother cry is a potentially an effective strategy. Right. But if you're talking about somebody, and I just, I just want to make this, I know that you know this, I just want to make this distinction clear to our audience that like, if you are dealing with people who might be convinced by sort of anti-racist points then what Laura did is not effective and like to know sort of like know your audience and like I know I so I'm also white I come from a family I don't speak to my dad's side of the family anymore um but my mom's side of the family is like this long line of southern liberals and like a lot of times their heart is in the right place but like they don't know really what they're saying sometimes (laughs) and there I know that I have like tried to have conversations with them and sometimes things have gone well and sometimes things have gone poorly and like when I tried to talk to my aunt who's an attorney she's not a criminal attorney she's she's like uh she has like contract law I think I don't know whatever it's something that's not in a courtroom she's not a prosecutor she's not you know sending people to jail but when I tried to talk to her about like Michelle Alexander type stuff Mm -hmm. she was like well not all prosecutors basically And I got so frustrated that I started crying. Mm. And like, that is a terrible, that I did not handle that well. And like, I didn't change any minds there. Um, But I, I have had conversations with her father, my grandfather, where, you know, he made a comment 
about how you know an innocuous comment that and it was one that I think was actually coming from a place of respect because he loves college basketball about literally like the black people can jump higher type thing and I was like papa like that's that's actually like pretty racist and like theories of like racial difference are grounded in racism Mm -hmm. and like you're perpetuating racism by like spouting these points off and I was able to like this, I'm not sorry. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm bragging. I'm trying mm-hmm. to give an example of like a successful talking to your family moment. Yeah. Um, but I was able to, and part of it is like knowing your audience. I didn't know my grandpa. Like he's somebody that can be convinced by like studies, you know. So I went online and I did a bunch of research and I sent him a bunch of stuff and was like, first of all, you can't find stuff from more recently than the '80s that is like, hey, black people actually can't jump higher than white people because mm-hmm. it's been so scientifically debunked for like. 30 plus years that there isn't any recent studies so you have to go back pretty far because the scientific community knows that this is bullshit but anyway (laughs) you know like being like a this is not true first of all and then b sending him stuff that was like here's why the like perpetuating these ideas of racial difference are really problematic and he was convinced and he had like a conversation with me later that day after he had read the stuff and was like um, you know, I'm sorry that I said that stuff. Like you, I, I read what you sent me and like, you know, I won't do that anymore. And like, part of that speaks to my grandpa and like who he is as a person. But part of it is also like, you have to know your audience. And if I had started crying, it, you know, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. Um, and so I think that that maybe is a transition to some of the stuff that you wanted to talk about, Laura, mm-hmm. about actual strategies for talking to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so the the ideas that I was kind of thinking of, um, again, like starting off by saying like having a conversation about race can be uncomfortable, like really uncomfortable. But being uncomfortable isn't the same as being unsafe and Black people in America are unsafe because of our militarized police state and because of fucking white people just calling the cops on every black person they see. It's important for us to be okay with that level of uncomfortability. It's literally the least we can do. So that being said, there are some important tactical things that you can have to your advantage. Yeah, tactic number one, ask questions. Uh, It's one of my favorite tactics because it's so open-ended. And also, it just like, the thing is, the problem with most people is they're not thinking. And so you have to kind of force them to think by asking them a question. Um, You know, I think it also really helps people realize like that maybe they've never thought of that before. Exactly. It makes people question themselves. Right. Um, my, my favorite question to ask in this time is why does it upset you more that when property is destroyed than when a black person dot is murdered by the state? Um, so that's my favorite question to start with um, or work your way up to depending on who you're talking to. Um <laughs> And, you know, really similar to what Kellen was saying, try to stay calm. Um, people, especially men, will use, quote, getting emotional, unquote, against you, um, which is obviously fucked up. Um, because for me, I don't think like when, Kellen, when you said that you started to cry when um, you were in that discussion, like for me, that 
doesn't have to be something that derails the entire conversation, but unfortunately for a lot of things, it will. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it can help you get things across if you can try to stay calm. Literally, I've meditated before going into conversations like this before, you know, to try to like really get yourself into a grounded place. Um, and have information on hand, either digitally or like in pamphlet form that has cited information from abolitionists. Um, so we're going to link to a bunch of that in the description, as well as we're going to share some more resources soon. Um, but those would be the main three things that I would say. Yeah. I, I oh. oh, go ahead, Zoe. I was just going to speak to the um, staying calm thing because I have a lot of feelings about this, as yeah. I'm sure we all do. So yeah, just some like background, because we're all kind of talking about our like family situation when it comes to this. Um, I'm lucky in that my parents are both like left leaning to various degrees. That does not mean that they're perfect. It does not mean that I don't have to have difficult conversations with them, but lucky in the sense that like they're usually open to it. Um, And uh, it's also... My family is complicated in the sense that I have two half siblings that are half black. And I know that um, growing up, my half brother is nonverbal. Um, so not as much of a, you know, <laughs> a different situation. But my half sister, I know, had like some really similar like frustrations and resentment to like what Sasha was describing earlier. Um, so there's definitely been a lot of like difficult conversations when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the staying calm thing, often when I'm having these conversations with my mom, I can get really frustrated, um, partially because sometimes it feels like it's really hard to get through to her or it will feel like we've had this conversation and like she forgot and like I get easily frustrated and my mom is easily um, like put off by that tone and will it just kind of becomes a loop of my mom being like, well, I would listen if you weren't getting so mad. And I would be like, I wouldn't be so mad if you weren't listening. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, yes, people do listen better when you're calm. It also can be really hard to do that. Yeah, I totally agree and have experienced um, similar things with um, feeling the need to be calm, even if it's really frustrating and all you want to do is scream at the other person and um, sort of like, you know, just like have them see your point of view. Um, but unfortunately, I've had the same experience where um, it just doesn't, it's not as helpful to, to be sort of abrasive, at least when you're sort of starting out the conversation. Um, uh, as I think other folks have said, like, you sort of need to meet the person where they are. Um, and I totally understand that that is another, like, part of why it can be so frustrating to talk to family, because um, you sort of have to be calm in these times of, like, real anger and, like, rightful anger. Um, but I think my experience with talking to my family and talking to my mom, um, I've always gotten a little bit farther with being calm and sort of like chipping away at the conversation. Um, and yeah, just meeting her where she is, um, giving her sort of like facts and figures about certain things, which is also frustrating, you know, especially um, 
when, you know, there's a dynamic of um, a brown person and a white person, uh, myself and my mom, um, and just sort of feeling like, okay, so now it's once again, my job to educate you, which is, you know, it's like, there's just a lot of dynamics that are kind of frustrating there. Um, Absolutely. Well, and it also like comes from the, the, like, I think another like unintended microaggression that your mom is like performing in that moment and other white people perform all the time is the, the very, the quickness with which white people are in disbelief about the violence of the police state and then like the the amount of resources that and proof like quote unquote proof of these aggressions that um you know can be really put out in front of white people's faces and they still ha- like have this perspective of like well that can't be right um so yeah. the the like the the pain i i'm certain that you feel when like you have to like communicate with your own mother like through facts and figures instead of her just like believing your experience and what you know to be true because like what that's saying is she's and and again this isn't about your mother of course like it's about like white people but like in the story you're saying like white people need to stop having this like this um or like understand the violence that they are perpetrating when they require those types of figures from people from abolitionists rather than like believing people when they are talking about the violence that happens against them. Exactly. Yeah. And I just think that that's why it's so important and, you know, me and everyone else should be urging each other, specifically white people to be educating themselves on all of this um, because you, you could be doing more harm than you're meaning to do. Um, and unfortunately, if you're not educating yourselves, it, you're, you're putting that on the folks who are being oppressed. Um, and that's shitty. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But just as an ending, I wanted to say um, thank you to, to all of you at Season of the Bitch. I've been listening to you guys oh for God. so long. Sasha, <laughs> <yay>. <laughs> um, I feel like... Um, you have all really helped me in my own education of um, just leftist politics in general. Um, and I really admire the work that you do. So thank you. I didn't know that you listened to the podcast before becoming friends with Zoe. Like, I thought that it happened in r- the other order. And yeah, the- I told them the other day. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Oh, yeah. That's I've been so listening sweet. for a while. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> Well, that's so sweet. Well, you also are obviously like brilliant and, you know, I learned from you and have learned from you in this conversation and uh, I'm so grateful that we got to speak with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much. So I wanted to kind of follow up on the pieces of advice that y'all were giving with a list of tips from um, Jen Winston. She is uh, like a 
I don't know what you would call her, honestly. But anyway, she's like on Instagram. She has a ton of these kinds of resources. Um, she's at generous spelled with a J. Um, and she has a list of ways to talk about, talk to your family about racism for white people. So there's this list that I think there's like seven or eight pieces to it. Um, the first one is start with the difference between intent and impact. So for example, a lot of people will talk about, you know, who is like a good, I, or maybe not a lot of people, maybe I'm just speaking from my personal experience. My mom is like very invested in the fact that there's good in all people. And like, I could not give two shits about that. <laughs> and so one way to start is to be like, it doesn't, you know, what's less important is somebody's intent, what they mean to do. What's more important is what actually happens and how it affects other people. So trying to make trying to make the conversation about impact rather than about intent. The second piece of advice she has, which we've definitely touched upon is watch your tone. She talks about the fact that it is not really fair, but they, you know, we need to be conscious of how we're talking, how, you know, we're getting emotional. Um, and we need to focus on being effective. And it, she also clarifies, and I think this is important that again, we're talking about what white people, the way that white people need to have these conversations. We're not talking about tone policing the way that, for example, black people are speaking about their experiences right now. Um, the second or the third thing that she suggests is to tell stories about your own privilege. So to, you know, we, a lot of us in organizing spaces are familiar with the idea of using I centered language. So this is kind of an extension of that to, to talk about the ways that like being white has personally, you've personally benefited from being white. Um, and to tr kind of make them see that like white privilege is not, it's not like, oh, you need to be ashamed of it. You need to work to dismantle it. Um, and to show them that there are advantages that come with being white uh, that, you know, they can, if they do some digging, kind of find in their own lives, even if they have, they've lived at other, you know, points of oppression. So even if you are a, a white person who's a working class white person, you've still benefited from being white in certain ways um, that a working class black person has not. Um, the fourth thing is to share some of your own fuck ups because as we've established, like everybody does mess up. White people, all white people have been wrong before. It's just that we're learning from the ways that we've been wrong. So to try to make it easier for your family to be like, okay, Kellen isn't coming from a place where she thinks she knows everything and has been right all her life, but is coming from a place of like, I have grown and you can grow too if you come with me on this journey. That's like another way to try to get through to people. Um, the next thing she says is to make it okay to ask questions, to actively ask your family if like they have things that they would like to learn about. Um, and if they do and you don't have an answer to like look with them and like come up with answers together. So I think in some ways this is kind of like what I tried to do with my grandpa. Um, and that in that situation, it ended up working. There's a similar thing that she suggests, which is her her sixth piece of advice, which is to host a book club light. And she says, and I think this is true, it's unreasonable sometimes to ask people to read an entire book. Um, whether you think they should do that or not, you 
might more realistically expect them to read an article, listen to a podcast episode or watch a video. And then you might be able to actually like discuss it together. So Laura talked about doing a workbook with people. Um, again, uh, doing something like that with your family, maybe less intense because it sounds like the people that Laura are doing it with are already pretty committed to being anti-racist. But doing something like that on a lower level of commitment is a way to get started. Um, and then finally, and this I think really echoes what Laura was talking about before, she suggests that you keep asking, why do you think that is? And this is maybe a little bit less confrontational than um, just saying like, well, why, why are you <laughs> taking the side of the cops? Um, but again, if you are dealing with people who are not particularly open to changing, this may not be the most effective way to do things. But if you are dealing with people who are open to changing, asking them, why do you think that is? So, you know, if, if you're talking about something that you both agree on, for example, that Black people are incarcerated more for drug offenses than white people, you might say, why do you think that is? And then keep going until the answer that you get to is racism. Because it's mm. like, that is what's always at the bottom of this. And, you know, if you Marxists know that if you keep going, there's there's other answers that you'll find in sort of other situations. Capitalism is frequently at the bottom of things. Racism in these situations also very frequently at the bottom of things. That becomes sort of the inevitable conclusion. Um, and so those are the seven things that she suggests. I thought they were like nice, easy to remember. Again, you can go to her Instagram. She's got other sort of helpful things like this stuff about, you know, what does a future without police look like? Um, that sort of thing uh, that can be helpful in having these conversations with yourself or with other people. So I wanted to plug that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think this is probably a good way to transition to some other resources that we might suggest. I know that I just said that it is maybe unrealistic to expect people to read full books, but I'm about to suggest some books. I'm guessing that the people listening to this are um, interested in educating themselves further. Um, I'm not so as I'm, nice as Kellen is. <laughs> trying to be realistic, you know. Uh, I assume that like our listeners maybe have a different different capacity and different ability. <laughs> You're not so ability. Good. Like my Catholic self is like, let me use guilt against these people. Like, it, <laughs> like literally, if you think to yourself, I can't get through a book on race in America, like shame on you, uh, unless you have a reason to really not be able to. <laughs> right, right. And it, the, this is just sort of a, a recognition that people, a lot of people have reasons or will come up with reasons. And like the best thing we can do is meet people where they're at. Um, yeah, sure. But I do think that our <laughs> listeners, if you're already listening to this episode about white silence and about how to educate your family, then you probably are more invested than the family members you're trying to educate. So like there's a difference between what we might ask of our family members who are not already like engaged in this work and what we might ask of our listeners who are. Um, and so with that being said, um, I have two books I wanted to recommend. The first I've recommended on this podcast before, it is Racecraft by Barbara and Karen Fields, who are Black Marxist feminists, who are also sisters, which is for some reason hilarious to me. Um, they are 
really, really just some of the, Barbara Fields is the smartest person that I have ever met in my life. Um, and I think her chapters are especially good. Um, it's a great analysis of how racism is perpetuated and really like how racism creates and reinforces concepts of race. I no longer have a copy because I gave mine to my mom and true to form, I highlighted the specific chapters <laughs> I wanted her to read. Um, yes. So anyway, if you take one thing away from this episode, read Racecraft. The other recommendation I want to add, because obviously my recommendations are going to be by historians, is A History of White People by Nell Urban Painter. Um, it's a book about how whiteness was invented. Uh, so it is literally a history of white people, emphasis on the word white. Um, it is long as fuck, but you will learn a lot. It's really well written. And I also wanted to just give a shout out, not that she's listening, to Professor Painter, who apparently, from what I've heard, was extremely intimidating during her time in academia, which she quit, uh, supposedly because the department at Princeton was too racist, which checks out. <laughs> and she's now just living her best life as an artist. She's a literal painter now. She is a Nell Urban Painter painter. Wow. Uh, and that is my recommendation. Amazing. Um, yeah, so I also have some books, but, you know, um, you should read them, period. Okay, one <laughs> is The New yes. Jim... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> one is The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Um, this book, well, first of all, shout out to one of our listeners, Um who got this book for me for my birthday. Um, I I had read it a while ago, but I gave my copy away and I am kind of going through it again and I really appreciate that. So thank you. Um, and also, this is about, um, essentially this book provided the basis for the documentary 13th. If you've seen the Ava DuVernay um, documentary 13th. So it's about- I was about to bring that up. Ah. Yes. Sorry. Didn't mean to. I was going to say like, okay, if, if you do have a hard time reading a whole book and I relate, though it is important, <laughs> a documentary can also be a good thing to, yes. especially to suggest like, it might be easier to get a, a relative to like watch a documentary on Netflix than like buy and read mm -hmm. a whole book to start out, you know, baby right. steps. Right. So um, Michelle Alexander talks about how um, our incarceration system is built was built through uh quote unquote uh the abolition of slavery um which we then you know learn throughout the book obviously we still have a lot of um a lot of bullshit going on you know we've just been talking about it the whole time okay so the next the next book is which i really like because i think a lot of times when we talk about abolition um people are like okay well then what will we do in the future yes um and so this book is called beyond survival it's edited by ajiris dixon and leah lakshimi um, if I mispronounce their names, I apologize. Um, and so it gives it gives like a look into what life could look like post abolition. Um, the end of policing by Alex Vitale is now fr a free ebook on Verso. Um, so if you go to verso.com, that is a book that is free right now. Again, like you know peeling back the layers of why you couldn't read a book. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just like brutal, but I I just feel this way. Um, 
Our Prison's Obsolete by Angela Davis is Mm -hmm. so straightforward and really, really, really powerful. My runner-up by Angela Davis is um, Policing the Black Man, Um, but read both, honestly. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Then um, from hashtag Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation by Kianga Yamada-Taylor. She's um, a professor at Yale in the African American Studies Department. She's incredible. Uh, she also is from Buffalo originally. What? what? Um, and then if you want like a history of of uh, revolutionaries of the past, um, there's a book on Ella Baker, who is a um, famous black socialist. And uh, so it's called Ella Baker, A Leader Behind the Scenes. And it's by Shirley Dall- Dallard. So we'll, we'll uh, have a list of all this in the description. So as Kellen was saying, you can't separate these issues from feminism. And so for gender studies, um, I we had to do like a certain amount of classes that were in the like uh, race and ethnicity um, department and like black studies. And for one of the classes, um, I read this book that's really, really good. Well, I read a lot of good things, but <laughs> specifically this book called The Possessive Investment in Whiteness, the subtitle being How White People Profit from Identity Politics by George um, Lipsitz. And that's just like a really good book about whiteness. Um, Also for that class, we got to go to a lecture with Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who is a prison abolitionist. Um, And and she's written books and she also does a lot of articles. So I would recommend just like looking, she's written a lot of articles about like the case for prison abolition um, that are like maybe a more like succinct argument about it that can be helpful. And also, of course, Audre Lorde, who we've quoted multiple times in this episode. My personal favorite Audre Lorde is Sister Outsider, but she has a lot of amazing work. Mm. Yes. Amazing. Oh, and she's gay as hell, and I love it. Yes. Yeah. Happy Pride <laughs> Month, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so in light of everything, like, yeah, we're going to continue talking about this and using this platform to continue to... Uh, fight for black lives Um, and part of that is we are going to start a book club that focuses on a lot of the texts that we uh, talked about we're going to try to have it be focused mostly on texts that you can get for free um, or and we will try to keep it more to like chapters of certain things or like uh, not full books because as Kellen you know, maybe made the point of it can be hard and overwhelming. So um, I feel like I can help, we can help uh, curate a um, a bunch of information that we can talk about and discuss. So if you're a Patreon person, stuff will be coming your way on that. Um, if, as always, you can like follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Season of the Bee. You can um, send us an email, seasonofthebee at gmail.com. Season of the Bit. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry that I interrupted. You're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Season of the Bitch. <laughs> I don't know what you were going to say. I was going to say seasonofthebitch.com, but I was confusing it with our website. I'm so sorry. And our our SoundCloud and our Patreon. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, no, they're going to send an email to the wrong place. And then halfway through saying it, I was like, no, 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 no. They're going to send it to the wrong place now. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So season of the bee at gmail.com. <laughs> and uh, yeah, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Give your money to black people. Uh, yeah. Love you guys. <laughs> Love you. Love Bye. you. the bitch.